I begin by celebrating and affirming movement wherever you see it. And the idea that there would be truth, or truth with a capital T, and only these people over here in the corner would have access to it is completely absurd to me. Um, and if there is a, a God source to being glue, energy, thread that holds it all together, that would have to be accessible to everybody. Or you're not talking about love. That's Rob Bell, and this is The Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. All right, everybody, how you guys doing? What's going on? My name is Rich Roll. Welcome or welcome back to the podcast where I have the great fortune of going deep, going wide, going long form with some of the most inspiring thought leaders, positive paradigm breaking change makers all across the globe people who have devoted their lives to making the world a better place. And Rob Bell, this week's guest, is definitely one such person. He's a guy who's making a huge impact, a huge cultural impact on how we think about and practice faith, which is the predominant subject matter of today's conversation. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers 
to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Okay, Rob Bell, I gotta say, this is one of the coolest conversations I've ever had with anyone about faith and religion and spirituality and God and what it means to be human. Uh, It's sort of new terrain for me. I'm not a religious person, so it was interesting to sit down with somebody who comes from, you know, that sort of tradition to talk about these issues. So it made for a very dynamic and interesting discussion that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. If Rob Bell is new to you, uh, he is a husband and a father of three kids. He's a multiple New York Times bestselling author of an avalanche of books uh, that include Love Wins, which I absolutely love, uh, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, which was an Oprah Book of the Month selection, and his most recent book called How to Be Here. Uh, Rob has been profiled in The New Yorker. He's toured with Oprah. iTunes named his podcast, The Robcast, which you should definitely check out, one of the best of 2015. In 2011, Time Magazine named him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. The accolades and the accomplishments go on and on and on. Uh, And I've never met anyone like Rob before. This is a guy once again, who comes from the church. He spent years as a pastor pontificating before huge congregations of people. Uh, But distinct from his peers, he's a guy who really broke ranks with entrenched traditional notions of Christian church doctrine. Uh, He's a guy who has sort of upended and redefined and placed into modern context what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. And, And what distinguishes Rob Uh, is this real independent spirit that he brings to faith. It's almost punk rock. It's very cool. Uh, And this really incredibly relatable approach to confounding issues that historically have divided us much more than they have united us. Uh, And you're unlikely to find Rob doing his thing in a church. 
He's usually found in places like comedy clubs, improv clubs, and, and larger auditoriums and venues, including a standing appointment at Largo, which is this really cool alternative music and comedy space in LA that's known much more for acts like musician John Bryan or somebody like Zach Galifianakis than, than a guy ruminating on God and man's place in the universe. Uh, I spent the afternoon with Rob a couple weeks ago, and I really connected with him. And by the time he left my home, which was several hours later, because we spent a bunch of time together both before and after recording the podcast, I really knew I'd found uh, somebody special and and a guy who who I feel like is going to be a new friend of mine. And we're already talking about doing some future things together, which is really exciting for me. In any event, he's just an incredibly warm, charismatic, and approachable human being. He's very inviting. And I think you guys are going to really dig this conversation. It's a conversation about storytelling. It's about humility. It's about faith. It's about spirituality. It's about religious traditions and what they mean. And it's about redefining the meaning of church and what it means to be a person of faith. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the great Rob Bell. So psyched to uh, to be with you with you uh, today, man. Really great to meet you. Been following you for quite some time. Uh, we have some mutual friends, and we do. Here you are. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about religion and resentment and anger and wars and culture, and we're going to solve it all. Nice, <laughs> great. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Excellent, awesome, man. I don't even know where to begin with that, but like <laughs> you know, just small little issues. <laughs> um, but before we get into it, I have one like thing that I gotta ask you. So you're from Michigan, right? I grew up in Michigan. Yes. Yeah. So am I from Michigan? Are you really from uh, like the Gross Point area? Which my parents went to high school in Gross Point. We moved to Washington D.C. when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. But all my extended family uh, is lives throughout Michigan. Everybody went to University of Michigan. Blah blah blah. But I have tons of cousins who grew up in Grand Rapids, which is close to where you li- you grew up, right? I grew up in Lansing. Oh, you grew up in Lansing, yeah, right. Yeah, so, actually. But, the, but, but And then Mars ended Hill, up in Grand Rapids. Yeah, you, yeah, so yeah. you lived in Grand Rapids. Okay, so you didn't go to high school in Grand Rapids or anything like that? No, I went to uh, high, I graduated from Okemos High School. Uh, Only like you. probably an hour from right, Rose right, Point. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. Michigan. All right. America's high five. Yeah, and my cousins, like a bunch of my cousins still live there. Uh, my... Uh, my cousin Jenny is the principal of East Grand Rapids High School now. Like they're all, <laughs> they're Wait, all really. Yeah, my kids went to East Grand Rapids. Did schools, they? Uh, year when they were really young. Right before we moved to California. Oh Jenny, yeah, that's where Jenny, we lived. Do you know the Spindles or the Fries? That's the, I know the Fries. Yeah, I know that fries. name. So David Fry, who's so so my aunt, um, uh, her husband, who was my mom's brother, was a prominent lawyer in Grand Rapids. He died in a car accident uh, when I was quite young. And they built a memorial, uh, like a sculpture, in front of the courthouse in Grand Rapids. It's like this um, copper, little, like, low-lying pyramid thing. You might have seen it. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's in honor of my uncle, who passed away. And then my aunt married this guy, David Fry, who's a big mucky muck banker in town, right? <laughs> <laughs> so 
they're all, yeah, it's like, you know, prominent people. You in, have East Grand, Grand Rapids, Rapids. So connections. That's true. That is amazing. And growing up, we used to go uh, and spend summers in Grand Haven. Like we'd rent some tiny oh, yeah, little sure. cottage on those bluffs where they always fall down into the lake. <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember as a kid exploring, you know, we'd go down, like my cousin David and I would go, we'd go walk down the beach and we'd try to find one of those houses that had fallen in and like try to find stuff in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there would always you have be to one. know Michigan like, to know people, that image. I know it's like people right. building houses on cottages sand. on sand dunes, yeah. and then surprised when it falls right. down the dune. Into right. The, in, in and the building lake. your house on sand has been like something for thousands of years. Right. People have been like, "Don't build your house <laughs> yeah, on sand." Know, right. <laughs> well, that's as old as it gets. Yeah. So <laughs> that that brings up a good kind of subject that we could explore, perhaps, which is humility. Right. Like human beings are not are not uh, long on humility generally. And mm-hmm. the lack of humility tends to make us myopic and get us in all kinds of trouble, right? So it's a lack of humility to think that you're going to build a house on, on a sand dune and you're not going to suffer <laughs> the consequences of that. Uh, and I think that, that humility dovetails well with subjects of, of faith and spirituality. And one of the things that I thought was really beautiful in your... Um, tour film everything is spiritual is you know beyond the kind of timeline of taking us all the way through the evolution of the universe was this discourse on on particle physics right and how stuff gets super crazy when you get down to the subatomic particle yes. level and for a lot of people <clears throat> you know science and faith are irreconcilable ah, right? yeah, these, yeah. these things live in on different planets and for me I think there's nothing more, uh, there's nothing that inspires faith more than science because right. of those right. very reasons that that you get into, and it's a, it's a, it's a lack of humility on the part of humanity. Um, this idea that we can understand all and and you know create an algorithm and an equation to everything that I think blocks us from the beauty and the power of you know embracing what it means to to you know inject your life with a little faith. Absolutely. And when you think about like the best scientists, when you hear them talk, there's a, there's a wonder and awe mm-hmm. in their voice. Like I heard our Lisa Randall speak recently, like this very, very famous scientist. And it was so interesting how much of the Q and a her answer, the first half of her answer would be this really complicated, mind blowing riff. And then she'd pause and say, but, but the, the rest, uh, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And it was, if you would just, you could edit together her I don't knows, and it was like this, it was like a dialogue between what she did know and what she didn't know. Right. And the best theologians are the ones going filled with wonder and awe. Mm-hmm. I actually think what's happening now is so many people have seen faith and science as like headed the other direction. But if you and I get in a fight and we turn around and walk away from each other, if we walk away from each other long enough, we're going to circle the globe. Uh-huh. And we're going to end up <laughs> running into each other. Yeah, that's, so in that's some really senses, funny. if they move away from each other, I think what's happening is they're, they're, they've rounded the bend mm-hmm. and they're now facing each other. Well, I think where it gets into trouble, where, where it becomes problematic is when ideas of 
of you know science get distorted and ideas of faith get distorted yeah. right so there's this sense that well if you're if you're a person of faith then you believe that uh you know evolution doesn't exist and all these sorts of truisms that we accept as scientific fact get thrown out the window right right but but you know break down i love like how you kind of describe this you know s- this sort of uh, particle physics subatomic yes. thing and and how you draw you know you draw from that inspiration and wonder. Yeah, like uh, if you just begin with how did we get here, the the majority scientific opinion is that about 13.8 billion years, which by the way, I love 13.8 billion and not 13.7 billion, not 13.9. The, the precision There's in that like is... A level of certainty about but, that? Well, you have to, you have to laugh that we as human beings are like, no, it was pretty, uh, we think it was 13... Point eight, you know what I mean? So that that uh-huh. that knucklehead over there who was like thirteen point two is way seems, off. It seems like point eight <laughs> seems like a small thing to quibble about, but that's what is that eight hundred million years? You can make a career out of quibbling <laughs> yeah. over that decimal. Yeah. So this idea, which I think is so fantastic, say essentially thirteen point eight billion years ago there was a singularity. There was this point of infinite density, um, crammed with stupendous fecundity, as the great Deschardins said, mm-hmm. and that there was some sort of bang or explosion, and out of that you had the first subatomic particles, essentially little bits and pieces of energy, then those began to form with each other, bond with each other and form atoms, and then atoms began to bond with each other, that the whole thing has been moving into greater and greater complexity, which, and then atoms begin to form molecules, and then molecules eventually form cells, Mm -hmm. and cells form systems, and then somehow, somewhere in the 13 billion year range, you then begin to have animals, and eventually you have sentient human beings, and then hope of sapiens emerge out of that, and then you and I can now have a talk and record it and put it all over the world where we stand at a distance and reflect on this, right? which is new in but the history of the universe. Human consciousness and self-awareness arrive at you know, the last point zero 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 really late second in, the game. in this yes. 13.8 billion yes. year journey. And yet we arrive with a sense that we get it and we understand all of this. Right, and, and, right. And uh, you know, we can reduce it all into you know, a notebook. Or, yes, and then there's also the interesting belief among, you'll find people who say, well, we don't understand it yet, but we will, which often is seen as the strength of science, but if it's, which is beautiful, but if we don't understand it, but we will, we're now talking about hope and faith and something that will come in the future. Yeah, that's its own form of faith. Everything now is just merged into one giant soup. Right. But behind that idea that we will understand it someday is... A sense of um, not omnipotence is the wrong word, but yeah, but omniscience, it, but an idea, all, all yeah, knowing, an yeah, all, an all-powerful, right, you know, right, right, mind. We think we are the you know ultimate pinnacle of of evolution. We're just you know we're we're on a spectrum that's continuing, <laughs> yes, right? So yes. so as is you know your dog and the lizard that's outside. Like you could spend all day trying to you know get your pet snake to understand what you're telling it, yeah. and it's just not going to get there. Yeah, my dog is not going to do math. it's lacking you know, <laughs> the appropriate frontal lobe or whatever it needs to do that. So why do we think that we have the capacity to understand everything? I'm sure we're lacking a few lobes that if they were installed, if we were upgraded to you know, OS, whatever. The newest software. Yeah, that we would suddenly be able to see light spectrums and multiple dimensions and understand, you know, uh, certain things as elementary that are just simply beyond our grasp until we develop, you know, AI where we can outsource our intellect to help us understand things better. And you think about 
the, well, then we'll know everything, which is the definition of boredom. Mm. So you think about literature, you think about art, you think about science, you think about uh, landscaping, you think about everything people do from the, from simply manipulating the physical environment to what we're learning about biochemistry. It's the hunt, the search, the discovery, the exploration, which is actually where the joy is that look at what we've just discovered. Look, a friend of mine just sent me the study that there's now th these programs in France where they're sending people who are severely depressed on these surfing programs. Mm. And they're now getting back data that surfing, they have now all this data that surfing actually combats depression quite well. Uh -huh. Which is just, that's the thing you pass around to your friends and you laugh at, you kind of know that, but you kind of, you know, like we get data what we already known. Right, these studies this, that are like self-evident. Right, yeah. exactly. But the endless... It's, it's the exploration where the joy is. Um, it's, it's, even when we were talking before we turned down the recorder, your path and how you never could have planned this. You never could have made the rich roll like A, B, C, D. Um, that's where the joy has been. Right, and that's what's beautiful about it. And that's, that's what sort of continues to empower, uh, you know, my sense of faith because everything that kind of occurred to get me to this point was not by my doing. I can yes. assure you of that, you know, yes. there was, you know, the machinations of the universe or whatever verbiage you want yeah. to attach yeah, yeah. to it, but it certainly wasn't by design or self-will. You wouldn't have come up with something this good. No, there's no way that I could. And at the time, you know, I was trapped in a life that was making me very unhappy, you know, and I couldn't see, as we were talking about, I couldn't see, you know, the, the escape hatch out of it. Yeah. And it was literally by, um, <clears throat> by sort of, you know, burning in the flames of dismantling and trusting and learning to have faith that if I follow this thread of inspiration that was coming from some place I couldn't identify deep in my subconscious, yeah. that something would come of that. You know, it wasn't about business. It wasn't about a profession. It was about a search for trying to find greater meaning and, and, and contentment and purpose and happiness in my life. Right? So... So the fact that it was not by, you know, it's like, what's your five-year plan? And what is your one-year goal? It's like, <laughs> I've never done that because I feel like that is selling myself short, you know, because you have no idea what you're truly capable of if you sort of surrender yourself to the greater forces at bay and, and channel that energy inward to connecting with yourself in, in the most deep and profound way that you can to get to a place where your instincts are so finely honed yeah. that you can trust them and that they will lead you despite whatever society tells you or your family or your parents or whoever that you will be taken care of. And that has been my experience and the experience of plenty of other people that I know time and time and time yeah, again. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not about a canon of, 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 you know, it's not, it's not a scripture-based thing. It's not uh, reduced to any singular book or anything that I can specifically define, you know, which gets into, you know, we talk about like my history with religion and I want to get into, of course, your background and kind of what led you to this place. But, you know, it's been a kind of an a la carte spiritual, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, tapestry. Did you, did you grow up with a specific tradition? So, yeah. I know what you're doing right now. You're turning the interview. Yeah, right? look what I I'm, just did. I know what you're doing, but I will answer this question. Yeah, I grew up, you know, in Michigan, and and my parents weren't 
I think my dad went through a little bit. They grew up in the Presbyterian church, and then my dad had kind of an atheist phase when he was in college. He went to Amherst, but then he kind of, I don't know, started to grow out of that. And so as a kid, we would go to um, Sunday services in Michigan at this Presbyterian church, and I did Sunday school and all of that. And I just, I I don't remember much about that other than that I couldn't really emotionally connect with it. I was neutral on it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. I didn't have like a viscerally strong reaction either way, but I just didn't, I didn't identify and I couldn't, I couldn't really, it didn't, it didn't really do anything for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then moving to Washington, DC, I went to an Episcopalian, uh, elementary school. And that was interesting because there was lots of guys dressed up in crazy costumes that look like they could be on a float in the, you know, the gay pride parade in West Hollywood, swinging the, the incense things on the rope, you know, that yeah. they would have that really potent smell that I, to this day I can remember and never understand, like just the trappings and the costuming and the traditions of, of, you know, a bygone era that me at age, you know, whatever I was, 13 or whatever, just looked at and just in confusion, right. you know, as right, much right. as anything else. And again, I think that was a barrier that prevented me from being able to tap into, you know, anything positive for myself. And I, and I think the language, you know, the, the, the language around all of it was very difficult to penetrate intellectually. Yeah. And so that was my experience. And so then it's just been a gradual, you know, just, that was it. You know, I was like kind of, done with it yeah, like of, of course here. you know you go to church on my parents have gotten very involved in their church in washington dc and you know so on holidays or whatever we do the ceremonial thing where you show up or a wedding or what have you but i've beyond that i have no relationship with any church or any kind of um formalized religious tradition but i consider myself to be a spiritual being having a human experience yeah. and that's a detergent I've mind. explored and read and practiced many yeah. you know many traditions as you can see there's pictures of you know, <laughs> that picture over there on the that's Bhagavan Das who married my wife and I who is from the sort of be here now tradition yeah that is a yogis, great photo, by and the way. we've had lots of interesting you know spiritual minds pass through this house and impart their version of you know yeah. wisdom and enlightenment and that that's photo been is awesome. amazing i know it's incredible right mm-hmm. so so i love it you know i love god i'm totally down with you know jesus as a dude and everything that he stood for because he was super righteous you know <laughs> and like he yes. rocked it out and, and that's it. awesome but of course you know no surprise when it comes into kind of creating structures around that problems arise yeah. and and that's always sort of prevented me from taking it any further yeah so that's my big story yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i asked you one question yeah. and you were like oh i see what you're doing <laughs> but it's important because it provides context for everything yeah. that we're going to talk about now yeah. right so so tell me your you know your version of that um in michigan my parents would take us to church and i found the Jesus stories utterly compelling. I loved the idea that when there was an in-group that was marginalizing or oppressing somebody, Jesus always went to the edges. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved that whenever he's asked a question, he responds with a question. Like at a young age, that resonated. You know, how do you think about it? There's only maybe two places in all the Gospels where Jesus Uh has asked a question and he actually answers it. 
right. in good rabbinic fashion. And at a, at a, at a young age, I intuitively understood. That's oh, kind of like a Zen thing. Too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to own this for yourself. Like, you actually have to think about it for yourself. What he's saying is, um, I can answer this all sorts of ways, but how do you read it? How do you think about it? How do you interpret it? And I loved that the first will be last and last will be first. Something about the fact that there is this dominant system around you that says this is how it works. Mm -hmm. And that at the heart of the, of the Jesus stories where uh, you challenge and subvert that thing, mm -hmm. there's some other way. There's some other way to do it. So you just, you tapped in immediately. It, well, it, it. But your parents, your parents were down with this, right? Well, like they this were, was... I would call them intellectually restless. Mm -hmm. So they were always reading, always asking questions. Your dad was like a judge. My dad is a federal a district judge, judge yeah. yeah. And, and for him, faith was uh, you doing good work in the world. It was this, it was a personal thing, but it was uh, you go help people. And whatever your job is, so as a, he's like, my job is to be a good judge, not to preach sermons from the bench. Like he was like, no, you, you go and be fair and be a great judge. That's what, that's what faith looks like. So it was this very sort of uh, in the dirt and sweat of life. Faith in action. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and uh, so it's, so to me, the, the Jesus stories were never about this giant thing that, like religion, there wasn't a catechism or like a, it was just these stories that moved me. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't come in through a denomination or through, you know, some people are like, well, there's the 11 things or the 13 things or the class you have to take. Right. I just, I kind of came in with this, there's this way to be in the world. Um, and deeply suspicious of the movement that had started surrounding Jesus. Because right. I, I remember thinking, sitting there on a Sunday thinking, these ideas are like, um, the help and liberation for the oppressed, forgiving people who have betrayed and wronged you, um, living with less, being content. Um, he turns water into wine. This is like good, this is good stuff. Um, why is the gathering in his name so boring? <laughs> it was like a, it was like a deep. Well, beyond, and beyond boring, yeah, boring. Let also, alone nasty and oppressive. Exactly, and <laughs> yeah, and, and completely divorced with those right. themes that you just right. articulated. So I think sometimes it's like later in your life you look back and realize that the seeds of what you've become, you know, were planted all along. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, I went away to college and was in a band and we thought we were going to be the next R.E.M., which right. dates me and uh, Doesn't, that was my the next Violet Femmes, the yeah. next Midnight Oil. But you went, do you you went to like a Christian college, right? I did. My parents went there, uh -huh. and uh, so I so that thing when you're like five or six or seven, and your parents take you to where they went to college, and so it gets in your head. Oh, someday I'm going to go there. Mm -hmm. um, and what was interesting when I got there is my friends and I started this band, but there was like this scene of people, one of my roommates had an improv comedy group called Seafood Rodeo, and there was this um, country singer named Claire, and there was this opera singer named Claris, and there was this um, folk duo that went on to actually play for a number of years. So there were all these musicians and artists and sculptors um, who came from some sort of faith tradition, but, but faith simply meant you make cool stuff in the world. Mm. <laughs> so it was... It was it was a very free-thinking exchange of ideas. Let's all make stuff. Everybody was going to everybody else's shows and supporting each other. So right. That's sort so of, it's not. It wasn't. 
like of course the stereotypical idea of what a college like that is. right right it would be not strict and like sort of yeah no it was know. like we were playing we would be playing at a club in chicago and we were underage so we would literally run in set up sound check leave and then right before we were playing come back on play it was like adventure right um and so you loved it. It, it. I did love it. And it shaped me in some profound ways. So I didn't have like a, ooh, you can't do this. It was never about like, I've heard people talk about religious colleges where it was all about the rules and you're sort of, it, for me, it was about this group of people who were like, let's, let's create stuff. There was this guy named Charlie who did these massive oil paintings of monsters' heads. And so we would see how could we cover all the walls in our mm. apartment and his paint it was all this sort of thing. And then the band broke up senior year of college, like bands do. Cause everybody has to get a job. Yeah. And somewhere in there, I was like, cause I, I was the front man in the band and I loved, I loved writing the lyrics and then you'd have a show. And it was like my job to take everybody from the back of the room to the front and like, let's, let's go somewhere. We have 45 minutes set. Let's take people somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crafting of the lyrics and saying something and then hearing people sing it back was like, it was the first time in my life when I wasn't, because there was always a better student. I didn't do very well in school. I was always a better athlete. There was always somebody more popular. I was always on, always felt like on the outside. But there was this playing in like a alternative was the, like that back then it was alternative music, Alter- which basically bon- meant not Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, it, 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 um, it, uh, it unleashed, it grounded, it centered, it did something to me like, oh, and then... The idea of, of, of moving an audience of people emotionally. Cre- having right? something to say and connecting with people and going somewhere together. Uh, it always felt like a very tribal, almost like the village shaman, like, we're going to give you some songs, we're going to go somewhere. Right, so it's almost a natural evolution that you would... Right. Be- that you would be delivering sermons and music to almost a call and response. And then that to... summer after college, I volunteered to give a sermon. I was teaching barefoot water skiing at a camp and I volunteered because they had like this Sunday faith service and I volunteered to give a sermon. It was one of those things where you volu- you say something and then you're like, what am I doing? What is a sermon? What do you call? But, uh, what do you mean? You you were in Bible college. Like, what are they teaching you in Bible college? Uh, I studied teaching? psychology. Yeah. Um, but they have like, there's like scripture classes, right? Like, how does it work? That was some, I, you had, I think you had to take a class in the Bible, but it was not, it would people, it was pre-med economics. My friends were in studying communications. It was, um, I've heard like a Bible college, I think everybody is going to go be a pastor. The college I went to, Wheaton, that was not what it was like. Okay. It was like, this guy's pre-med, she's economics he's going on to get a social work right gotcha it was a uh, much more of an intellectual tradition mm-hmm. like um and yeah so no so giving sermons wasn't a normal thing um but i got up to give this sermon it was like i was wearing birkenstocks i took off the sandals because i was like the sense of holiness like this sense of sacred like oh this is what you're here to do it was like that mm-hmm. it was that sort of strong you knew immediately yeah and was it like uh was it it was in a church when you No, it was out in a woods it was like a bunch of logs that somebody had Uh arranged in the round like uh you could sit on these logs and somebody could stand in in the middle of these bench log things and talk it was did you prepare something or did you just yeah i did prepare something and channel channel the lord the first the uh (laughs) no i i remember walking around that week (laughs) i remember walking around that week thinking what do you say like you, I guess you want to inspire people. You want to give them. And my opening story was about a kid whose counselor 
had gotten so angry with him, he'd hung him in a tree by his underwear. That was like the opening story. So <laughs> that was like the bar um, had been set. But uh, I, you know, actually, I talked about rhythm of life. I have the notes. I found the notes. I've mm. kept them for 25 years. I talked about a rhythm of life and that there are these rhythms. In the ancient Hebrew tradition, they have Sabbath, a six-in-one rhythm of life. But it was if you violate, if you don't care for yourself, you'll probably lose your mind in some way. Um, that if you just work every day, all day, mm-hmm. you'll burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, there was some sense like this was an art form. I felt like I was tapping into an art form that I'd never seen somebody treat as an art form. I'd seen people do sermons that were basically, here's who you should vote for. I had seen sermons that were basically, here's what you're supposed to believe, and if you don't believe, something horrible is going to happen to you when you die. I had seen sermons which were, um, here's how you raise money to build a bigger building, edifice complex. I had seen um, sermons that were doing these other things. These templates that are kind of right. culled from a tradition of, you know, political campaigns. Yeah, exactly. Here's how we're going to take back America. We're always taking back something. (laughs) We're taking back the Constitution. We're taking back something. (laughs) Um, And I had seen the sermon as a belief affirmation device, which is just tell people what they've heard every Sunday all their life, and then all of you have a great warm feeling that you're in and everybody else is out, that you're right and everybody else is wrong. I'd seen this, but I had some sense, like I was like, no, this is an art form. And it's actually, well, you think about Martin Luther King, I have a dream. That's a sermon. Mm -hmm. But nobody heard that and then said, I don't know, he was funnier last week. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't like a you sit there and just sort of, that was an event. It was a happening. It was somewhere between performance art and guerrilla theater. Um, It was a vision of a new kind of world, but it was provocative and comforting and healing. And you learned something, but it also shook you up. Um, And I had this sense, I was probably 21 or 22, oh, this is an art form. I, I'm going to reclaim this as the art form that it actually is. And not just how you build a particular religion. This is about what it means to be human. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. 
Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You know, the word that comes to mind when it comes to you and the work that you do is inclusivity, right? Like yeah. you're, you're, you're an actualized three-dimensional human being, <laughs> you know, which is something I'm not sure I could say about other pastors and deliverers of sermons that I have seen either in person or on television. I'm like, you're a dude, you know, like I feel like yeah. you're sitting here and I'm at, I ask you a question and you're actually trying to honest, you know, honestly answer it. And I get a sense that you're like, you're a guy. You're, there's not this wall of separation that says, I am pious and I will now deliver upon you this wisdom. <laughs> right. that I, right. I've that got a magic bullet. Just yes, be quiet while I, I, am a, I am the conduit to God. And, and in order to, you know, connect with God, you have to connect with me. And that is the only path. Ah, all oof, of this sort of oof. separation and all of yeah. that. And the, and the, and, and you have very consciously cultivated and, and developed this way of communicating in a very populist way that draws its traditions, not from campaign you know, political type <laughs> speech or the traditions of oration that you find in the church, but more from performance art and stand-up comedy. I mean, the fact that you like do this thing at Largo. Oh yeah. And, like go well, you should to, like, come to the, the one in October room is like, that's so <laughs> cool and different <laughs> and new that it's like, it's almost mind blowing. I mean, like, like nobody else is doing that. So do you still have like a standing, like date at the, at Largo. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put you on the guest list yeah, for the next one. There's one in October. I'm gonna do something on the. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll. It's some. It's. I love it. Yeah. To me, it was always. This thing that I'm doing is for everybody. This is about what it means to be human. And then later, I came to realize, actually, the roots of the Jesus tradition, are about what it means to be human, and that. For most people, it was like, oh, it's Christian, which means it's for those people over there, mm -hmm. which is actually a complete misunderstanding of, no, it's love your neighbor. Your neighbor could be anybody. It is about giving a gift to the world, whoever that is. So I don't even, the, the labels and categories over the years started to mean less and less um, because I encountered people who use the, the word Jesus a lot who didn't seem to be doing anything like what he was talking about. And then I met people who would never call themselves a Christian who were so deeply tuned in to what Jesus talked about doing that even those labels and categories just started to mean less and less um, over the years. And yet at the same time, those words are so potent and powerful. Absolutely. You know, like they, they carry such heavy, you know, connotation. Yeah. I mean, just for me, like even with my kind of neutral, you know, experience, still when I hear the word, Christian, or I hear the word Jesus. Oh yeah, right. Or church. Right. I almost physically recoil. Oh, for sure. And it's difficult for me to even say the word Jesus. <laughs> right, right, right. Because then, because then I'm like, right. Well, people think I'm a crazy person, or that I, by virtue of discussing this individual, 
that makes me a member of some organization that I don't identify with. And I come on your podcast and say that. I'm like, I know there's a number of people who are like, who is, who did Rich bring on? This is crazy. No, this is why it's so great because (laughs) actually there's a, there's a contingent of the audience that is, that is Christian and I love you guys. And there's a contingent of the audience that are, you know, into yoga and, and more of a Hindu, you know, sort of that tradition. And, but I think it, w- it would be fair to say that most people that that have tapped into this to what I'm doing here are spiritual seekers of some yeah. form or yeah, another. Yeah. So, per- so maybe before we even go any further, we could sort of you could just canvas like your your basic you know perspective on all of this so people yeah. understand where you're coming from. Oh man, I I begin by celebrating and affirming movement wherever you see it, and the idea that there would be truth or truth with a capital T and only these people over here in the corner would have access to it is completely absurd to me. Um, And if there is a a God source to being glue, energy, thread that holds it all together, that would have to be accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. Or you're not talking about love. So I I begin there. And that uh, you begin with inclusion and that we all at some level we are all searching for the same things. And uh, I, I just keep saying God has all sorts of kids. <laughs> I just start there. Um, and that you will find, if your eyes are open, you'll find brothers and sisters all across the spectrum. And you'll find resonance um, with people who would seemingly come from all sorts of different backgrounds, but you'll start talking and when you love your neighbor, you'll discover all these threads and commonalities. And so I celebrate all that, mm-hmm. all that. And then I would so, say also, uh, the number of my friends who are atheists, who when they talk about the God they don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. And the number of my friends who are atheists who when you say, well, what do you mean when you talk about God? And they describe that God, maybe the, an image that they were handed growing up. I, I'm always like, atheism is the only healthy response <laughs> to that image. Right. So, and in and in kind of taking a look at the Bible, you know, the the text, mm-hmm. uh, you have an interesting perspective on how you interpret these stories. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. The ideas that are being conveyed by that, because you know, look, I mean, come on, like there's pictures of Jesus. He's a white man. You oh know, right, like he's, he's Swedish. Saying, he's sweet. You know, it's like it's insane. Fifth member of it's, Abba. It's ridiculous, right. and you know, right. crazy ideas that get thrown around about. Uh, you know, that are just completely at odds with science and how we live our lives today yeah. and the inherent contradictions that we find in these texts. But you have a way of kind of um, yeah. grappling with these ideas and reconciling them in a way that creates like a cohesive, you know, sort of spiritual worldview. Absolutely. You have to, the Bible's a library of books written by real people in real places at real times. So they're being shaped by economics, politics. Most of the Bible is written by a small minority of Jewish writers who were living under the, under the boot of a global military superpower. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the, the Greeks, these, so they are fundamentally suspicious of military power. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, a serious critique of global military superpowers that charge in and crush everybody in their path. So you have to read this book as coming out of real places in real times. And then... Of course, in that part, they said that they slaughtered everybody in the village in the name of God. That's how people talked at that time. So if you read it 
and you do just a little tiny bit of work on what the world was like at that time, it's a very, very, very human book. Mm -hmm. But then what you do is you find again and again these really radical ideas about, so the book of Leviticus, which is like as Old Testament seemingly violent and archaic as it gets in the book of Leviticus and among all this blood and guts and all that, you have uh, leave a corner of your field when you harvest it. Don't harvest a corner of your field. Leave it for the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant among you. Always remember the poor. Mm -hmm. So in among all of this ancient, primitive, barbaric, what would look like thinking that we think, thank God we left behind that, are these really fresh, radical ideas that start appearing. As somebody who is the furthest thing from a Bible scholar, <laughs> you know, other than knowing kind of like the stories that we all know, uh, it's inescapable that there is this idea of a very, you know, vengeful God right, that right, comes right. out of this book. Right? right, right, right. And so, you know, where do you take that? I would begin with people for thousands of years have been asking questions about the nature of the universe. We're still asking questions about the nature of the universe. In the ancient world, the way that they talked about these questions was in terms of the gods and the goddesses. So, for example, like think the story of Noah and the flood is not a unique story. There were lots of flood stories in the ancient world. So then you realize in that part of the world at that time, there were often flash floods. So you and your wife and kids have a little thing set up and then all of a sudden you have a little life, you have some animals, you have some plants, and then all of a sudden a flood comes through and wipes everything out, maybe even your beloved family members. You would probably, 3,000 years ago, somebody must be pissed at me. You know what I mean? Right, and the earth is flat, and all of this water right. is going to wash off the side of the earth. Right, 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 right. So you can see how people were trying to explain why, why, did, why, did, why did everything that I love get wiped away. Mm -hmm. And so people were telling stories to try to explain the world kind of exactly like we're doing now. So what's really interesting to me is there, there were lots of flood stories, and in the flood stories, the way they told the flood story is the gods are angry, and they're judging us, and they're going to wipe us out. The Noah and the flood story starts like all the other flood stories, violent and God is angry and vengeful. It ends with this God saying, I'm never going to do that again. So if you read it in context, which is a radical idea for was the time, actually a really progressive idea that, that, that the heart of the universe is not against you, but for you. Was a <laughs> really brand something? new this idea. idea that like, well, I did, you know, I made a mistake with that, so I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> well, I begin. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you begin with a human book, then you don't have to do the did God believe this or that. You begin with this is human beings were writing about their understandings. So you 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 because when people say well, why did God do that? Wait 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 wait. It's people trying to figure out why certain things happen to them. Don't blame if there even is a God, don't blame God, just read it as their explanations. Then suddenly, these were brand new ideas. Um, these were really progressive for their time ideas. So the then idea you can- of a loving God. The idea that the universe is not aligned against you in one more step and you will be destroyed. Obliterated. Was a new idea. So then all the violence and all the vengefulness, that's how people thought then. You you don't have to do this blind sort of religious, well, you know, there was a reason for that sort of thing. No, it was how people talked then. Right. And and whether it's the story of Noah or Adam and Eve or any... Which I know, think is a poem, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so what, that's what I'm getting at, this idea that it's not a literal 
analysis of the you know point A to point B, right, the facts right, of right, the right, story. Right. But what is the wisdom behind this? What is the idea that's actually you know trying to surface through yes. these polemics? Yes, and you think about the modern world. The way that you build a hospital or an airport or you put 10,000 songs in your pocket is you study things under a microscope and you figure out how things work and you use very literal language. So if your car is broken and you go to get it fixed, you don't want them to say your carburetor is just in a bad mood. You want literal technical language about what's wrong with my car. But if I ask you, um, tell me about falling in love with your wife, you don't say, well, you know, she was five foot nine. She likes pasta. You know what I mean? You'd probably shift into, I feel like I met my other half. Um, tell me how you feel about your kids. You wouldn't say, well, procreation with my progeny has been very fruitful to move the human things forward. You'd probably shift into, oh, they're like, little, they're like four little stars orbiting that. You know what I mean? We would shift into a different kind of language. When we talk about the deep themes and desires of our life, so what happens is you have lots of people who take a very modern, literal, mechanistic, technical language and understanding, and they say, why is the Bible not scientifically accurate? Because it's a book about loss, death, family, tribe, doubt. You know what I mean? And generally, when you write about those things, I'm about a 7.3 on the doubt scale today. You know what I mean? You just don't think about it that way. So you think about 9-11. Uh, you could tell me that two planes flow into, flew into the towers. You could tell me the names of the pilots. You could tell me that a plane went down in Pennsylvania, a plane hit the... You can give me all the details of 9-11 and be technically accurate. And you might have nothing interesting to say about why. Why were these people angry with America? What does this say about America's presence in the world? You could be technically accurate and not have any insight into 9-11 and the causes of 9-11 and what it's, how we're still sort of sorting it through. So oftentimes what happens is modern people read the Bible with this particular framework and completely miss that these writers, they're not playing that game. In their time and their place, they're playing a different game. Mm -hmm. In the same way that you would read the Bhagavad Gita. Absolutely. And, and, and immerse yourself in these incredible stories of Absolutely. these characters and try to divine the wisdom uh, you know, that is in the white between, yes. the, between the, 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 the letters on the line. Exactly. So you read even high school and Shakespeare. It took like three weeks to figure out how to read Shakespeare. But then people go, oh, it's a flood. Only, That's a only dumb Only three weeks? You, you I'm know still I mean? <laughs> trying to figure out how to read Shakespeare. But you start, uh, you start thinking about Oh, there were a bunch of flood stories. Flood stories were how people tried to explain suffering. And one of the dominant explanation of the day was somebody somewhere is really, really pissed and is going to wipe you off the face of the planet. And there was this tribe of people who began to circulate a story that was similar to those stories, and yet it had a vastly different, this was a much higher consciousness idea. This was uh, actually, when you have that view, it makes you miserable. Um, and here's a better way to think about it. This was very, this is radical stuff. So it's a much more subversive book than anybody lets on. So when you think of Jesus then, do you, do you uh, conceptualize him as like the literal son of God? Or do you think of him as this enlightened dude who was definitely channeling some serious, you know, enlightened wisdom from wherever? <laughs> but one of, Such a good question. But one of, you know, 
many people that have walked the planet over various, you know, epochs in the evolution of, of the human race. I love that question. Okay. Can we, can we talk about son of God for a second? Of course. Okay. Like, what does that even mean? I still don't know what the Holy Trinity means, by the way. Oh, we should talk about that too, because (laughs) that's a really, really, you would love this idea, by the way. See, so, so many of these ideas got like, they were microwaved or they were left on the... Sh- they, they, they became like stale We hear the when... name of the Father and the Son yeah, and yeah. the Holy Ghost. And we, you say that rote, and then, but I'm like, I have right. no idea what oh, that means. Okay, so, for, so Son of God, at the time of Jesus, the world is ruled by the Caesars, the succession of Roman Caesars. Mm-hmm. Now, this was the greatest military machine the world had ever seen. And the Roman Caesars had all of this military propaganda. Because if you're building an empire, you got to have propaganda. You got to put some flags on some football fields. You got to fly some F-14s overhead. You got to have some sort of... So one of the lines was, Caesar is the son of God sent to earth by the gods to bring about a universal reign of peace and prosperity. That was Roman military propaganda, that Caesar is a son of God. He comes from the gods and he's here to bring about peace. Now, how did Caesar do that? He came into your province with a sword and said, confess Caesar as Lord. (laughs) If you said, oh, okay, then you became Roman citizens, you became a Roman province, you paid taxes, which helped him build a bigger army to conquer more lands. If you didn't, then they had this thing called a crucifixion stake, also called a cross, where they would publicly torture you and kill you as a way of saying, this is what happens if you defy Caesar. So yeah, he's bringing peace, Pretty much because it's a particular kind of piece. It depends on which end of the sword you're on. Um, yeah, it's like when you, you, sorry to interrupt, but it just occurred to me, you know, when you, when you travel throughout Europe and you see all these incredible basilicas and this amazing architecture everywhere you turn and you think, why can't we continue to build such beautiful structures of art that, yeah. that you endure, know, allow our consciousness to sing and soar yeah. until you realize that <laughs> they were built under, you know, right. despotic reign, right. legions of slaves. Right. There's like, like yeah, bodies. You can do that when you control the people. <laughs> There's and, bodies in know, that cement. Yeah, exactly. So if you were one of these minority groups of people who the Roman empire had come in, and totally transformed life as you know it. Um, And you've had, I mean, there's evidence that the city of Magdala, they crucified 2,000 people at once. So this is just, this is like peace, but it's everybody who didn't think it was peace is dead. Um, And so son of God was a loaded political term. So when these, so when Jesus comes along and they're talking about son of God, the question, it's actually a question is there another way to be in the world than coercive military violence? So the fact that he's killed, as the story goes, by this machine, and they call him the son of God, essentially in the first century, this was, is there another way to be in the world? And, and the Jesus movement was, yeah, the world is not made better through coercive military violence. It's made better through sacrificial love. When you stand with the poor and the oppressed, when you feed those who are hungry. So, so when you get to 2016 and people are like, well, do you literally believe he's the son of God? In the first place, it wasn't a literal litmus test. It was a way of, he comes, he's essentially it saying there's another way. way. Of saying it's saying it's standing in, contra, in contradiction to this, yes, this the, MO, this idea that reigned the day. That is there another way to be God. human? And the reason why I think it's so interesting is take the presidential primary debates where in response 
to ISIS and terrorism, every single candidate is like, I'll tell you the answer, we need to bomb them. No, we need to bomb them and their kids. No, we need to make our military stronger, even though we're 5% of the world's population, we have 43% of its weapons, um, which is, and then we build, you know, this is a Christian nation. Don't say it's a Christian nation and then talk in the language of Caesar. It's, it's, <laughs> it's literally comical. Yes, how, upside how down. Upside down it yeah. is, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, the party of, you know, of quote unquote Christianity in the way that that is commonly understood in our current culture and political climate, every word, every action, every idea that emanates from that camp is completely diametrically opposed to the philosophy and the actions and the ideas of Jesus. Right, right, right. It's so... And it's more, you know, it's like what Gandhi did was Jesus-like. And there Absolutely, hasn't been a, a more you know sort of recent example of that kind of sacrifice. Of Gandhi, Mandela, Martin, yeah. You, how did this movement become so divorced from its? So how did it? What happened? Probably, I mean, some. There's all sorts of interesting theories. Some say it's in the 400s when the Roman Emperor Constantine realized, hey, if I take a cross into battle, all these Jesus followers will be with me or there's all the sorts of different theories of, was that the beginning of the iconography around yes. the cross because it didn't yeah. that didn't happen right away well you know right. there, some people say that the first icons and jewelry of the cross were in the 400s which is when the last people who had actually seen a crucifixion died nobody who saw a crucifixion was like dude that makes some great earrings for my girlfriend <laughs> right your association with that was just horrible it was shame and humiliation and the utter degradation of resistance to the empire and it would be like like uh having like a little electric chair around your neck or something oh my yeah exactly exactly like if you had just like an ak-47 necklace you know like with a guy with like a black hood on and a shooting line a firing line yeah it was absolute and it was better to die like that than to just keep the same violence in circulation that was the question of 2,000 years ago. It's the question of today. Is it just, oh, you bomb us, we bomb you. You bomb us, we drone strike you. It's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why I think it's so interesting is how um, I don't think he came so that there would be, uh, you know, they think he's the son of God. They think, I think he came to introduce people to a way of being in the world. And so if, and, he, was, if he was alive today what would his perspective on not just the Christian church, but kind of our current, you know, cultural and political climate? Oh, man. I'm not asking you to put words in his mouth, but knowing, um, knowing what you know and what you've studied and what you understand of who this person was. Uh, there's a couple of things I think he would do right away. I think he would point out that when there's such a massive gap between the rich and poor and the haves and have-nots, there's now actually this new research about the greater the gap between the rich and the poor and richer and poor in a country the um i talk about it in that everything is spiritual film the longevity of the rich goes down <laughs> that we really are we really are all connected i think he would talk about that i think he would talk about like it's this disease this disease of culture that yeah. negatively impacts all of us it, even the people that think that right. they're winning Right. Even the people who are winning, it is eroding everything. He would talk about that. I think he would talk about uh, uh, w the weaponizing of everything. I, I, think he, I think he would have a lot to say about the Second Amendment 
And I actually don't think he'd have a problem. Oh, okay, I understand. Because he doesn't, I don't think he'd have a problem with somebody owning a gun. I think he'd have the problem with this obsessive um, guns at all costs. Um, and uh, I think that he would have great joy in science. Be like, no way, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'd be as filled as wonder and awe as anybody. Um, I think he would talk a lot about the integration of body, soul, spirit, your, your one. So I think he would look at childhood obesity. I think he'd bring up stuff like that mm-hmm. <laughs> and say, what are you doing to your kids? Like, what are you feeding them? What are you doing? You're out of, because one of the central themes of the Bible is a proper relationship with the soil, which you all have done such, been so inspiring about. But I think it's one of the central themes of the Bible is when you are off in your relationship with the soil, all kinds of things fall apart. I think you talk about animals. I think you talk about the whole thing. And so this institution has arisen around this this man and his ideas. Yeah. And I would imagine it's a story about uh, it's a story about power and control. Yeah. Um, but what's your perspective on that? Yeah. Two thoughts. That it's it is healthy sometimes and easy and appropriate to point out the church as an institution but if you look at our culture wall street our financial institutions have made a bit of a mess of things our educational institutions have made a mess of things that institutions losing their way uh the church deserves all of that proper critique but that's not unusual for institutions that oh, have no, lost their way it's the most predictable thing <laughs> yes right? exactly so exactly what what makes it you know, as a, as a sober person and, and somebody who's, you know, basically gotten a lot out of, of, out of Alcoholics Anonymous, which mm-hmm. you're not really supposed to talk about too much because of, because of the tradition surrounding it. But I think it's okay to say that I think that one of the reasons, the fundamental reason why that it's not even an organization, but this, this sort of um, inculcation of ideas has mm-hmm. been able to survive and thrive and grow is because it is so the genius of of the founders was to decentralize it to such a great extent that nobody is in control to prevent yeah the you know this virus that seems to impact and negatively affect and and ultimately you know create the downfall of almost every human man-made institution that has ever existed throughout you know mankind right yeah so although i would say the real mystery i have some friends in london who had a nonprofit organization uh, that I think it actually started as a church and the British government offered them a failing urban school that was, they're going to have to shut down and said, would you all take it over? So they took over this school that like had a full on drug network in the hallways in between class. Like it was as like the worst, one of the worst schools in England. They took it over helped get the teachers better training, turned the school around, and then realized a bunch of these kids, their parents are in horrible debt. So we should start a debt, a a center where we can help parents get out of debt. Then they were like, these people are eating horrible food. Let's plant a garden and teach them how to grow their own food so they can eat better food. So uh, they called the organization Oasis. Then they realized a bunch of these people have been involved in, have been the victims of violent crime. Let's start a support group for people who have been assaulted or robbed or carjacked. And um, they now, and then they're like, well, maybe we should meet on Sundays just so people can meet each other. And I guess it'd be a church service, but it'd be more like they've now started 44 of these centers around England, around the world. They just started a, a farm around the corner from parliament. 
It's the only livestock they know of in central London. Um, and they call that church. But what they say is our job, we believe if Jesus was here in England, what he would want us to do is help bring good news to however people need it. People need to get out of debt. People need to eat more nutritiously. People need... So there are... The mystery to me is with all of the injustice and abuse, and there are people doing unbelievably fresh, interesting things. Mm -hmm. And they would call it church. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Right, I get that. You know, I get that. But it's still you hear the word church. Oh yeah. You immediately. Oh yeah. You know, have yeah. an idea of what that yep. means. Yep. Yep. Right. So, so, so I gather from this that part of you know part of what drives you is helping to redefine what these words mean. You know, when when my wife Chris and I were twenty eight, we started a church, and I was like, let's not call it a church because that word is so loaded. Let's just call it a community of students. Let's call it a. And so I tried that. I was on this huge kick. And let's not use the word Christian because that word is so loaded. Let's just say we're students of the way of Jesus and we have a community where we're learning together what it looks like to blah, blah, whatever. And people would always be like, so you mean a church? <laughs> <laughs> so is that what became Mars Hill? Yeah. And it was in like, you had like a space in a mall, right? Uh, but it wasn't like I had the sense like there's got to be some better way to do this whole thing. So a guy had a building he just built and he let us rent it for a dollar a year. And we... It was like a warehouse school kind of building. Uh And then we outgrew that about a year and a half in and somebody gave us a mall. Um, So I think we bought the parking lot and then then they gave us the actual building with like the main hallway and the stores and all that. And um, that's what we did for a while. And did you have like a mission statement for that? Like what was the main idea? The, The main idea was at the heart of any healthy understanding of spirituality is that you are a student and you are learning how to be in the world. So uh, we would think of it as, we thought of it as a Christian church, so we're students of Jesus. We're trying to learn this way of being in the world, nonviolent, generous, non-anxious. Um, so we're students. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to help people be better students and we're learning ourselves. So built into the whole thing was the humility of we're learning as well. So do you feel like you're, I guess what I'm getting from this is your, your sort of evolution as, as a preacher as a as a deliverer of sermons, like what's the right word, preacher? Oh, you know, what, can I, what do I say? I love it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, my wife says, "Don't." There's so you, many associations with these words. Like, and my wife like, says, you know, "My wife Kristen says, don't introduce yourself as a pastor." She's a like, because people immediately have a whole bunch of what's, ideas, right. That aren't what you do. But then I was, um, my friend Elizabeth Gilbert and I do events together, and she's always like, "Hey, 
um, Pastor, Pastor Rob. Rob. She's Pastor so, she's Rob. like that's the coolest. She's like that's the coolest <laughs> thing going. And but then if I said probably the best term would be spiritual teacher. But yeah. then that's immediately like then there's what, a do you whole have like other a, thing with that. Do you have like a white robe in right. the car? And are you gonna like m- make us? Ch- you know what I mean? There's just yeah. like all this weird stuff. There is no there is no word for it really. I usually that, say that connotation for if it. I'm at a party, I would say author because that's the the that's like the. Um, and then you sort of backtrack from, you know, explain from there. <laughs> but you would, you would never been affiliated with any traditional church organization like this kind of, um, did you, was this a reaction? I to, was, like, I how went, did you evolve into this? I know I went to, uh, I went to seminary. I went and got a master's of divinity and then I got a job in a church and okay. I, uh, for three years, there was a pastor I really respected and I followed him around for three years and just watched and one of the first sermons I ever gave at that, when I had left seminary and was actually working in a church full time, a dude comes up to me afterwards and he says, you need to go to AA. And I said, I, I'm not aware that I have an alcohol problem. I'm probably 25 or 26. And he says, no, everything you need to know about being a pastor, you'll learn in AA. Oh, wow. So he says, go to AA, because this church had all these AA programs. So he says, go, and when it comes to you, just say, my name is Rob and I pass. Mm-hmm. So I was probably 25. I started going to AA meetings and just sitting there and they'd come to me and I'd just say, I am Rob, I pass. I know there are people who have this means who are like, that dude was hard. (laughs) That dude was tough. He was unbreakable. Um, And I remember the first couple meetings, I couldn't figure out why the, like it was like the molecules were vibrating differently. I remember looking around like, why is this so different than any space I've ever been in? It took me a couple, it took me a while of going to realize, oh, this is like a bullshit free zone there's nobody's pretending. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, it was like everything went, it was like it reverse imaged. Most of the environments I'm in, people are spending a tremendous amount of energy pretending. Everything's fine. We're doing great. This space, you just are what you are. Or if you yeah. are bullshitting, it gets rooted out pretty oh, because you can't, you can't survive. You can't, it's like a heat that just yeah. burns it up. And, and the idea behind that is you, you can either save face or save your ass. So what's it going to be? Right. You know what I mean? If you want to yeah. save your ass, which is why you're there because your life ain't working and it's broken and the stakes are high, then you're going to have to get real. Yeah. And that, and there's, that's, there, it's, it's beautifully human. That, uh, that, that was a, a defining experience in my life. Like, so in terms oh. in terms of informing how you how you become a better pastor, I mean, what are the ideas that came out of that that informed that? That any authentic spirituality will have room for the full spectrum of human experience. You feel like a failure, doubt, fear, worry, insecurity, rage, betrayal. All of it has to belong because it's all part of being, of being human. Mm-hmm. And that any, any like, well, we, we bring, we, we, we sort of dress up a little bit to come into this space. No, the space, and, 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 as, and as a spiritual leader, you're essentially creating a space. The space has to be, has to have room for everything. So I, uh, right after, we'd, we'd only been in the new church that we'd started a little while. I had, like, I would sponsor like a doubt night just invite people to come and bring their doubts. Just write down everything they have doubts about, and then I would just read them up front. And would you share your own doubt? Sure. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I said, 
I go to a therapist and uh, how dare you this is what I learned and in West Michigan at that time that was that was something Um, but I I remember like those experience which were all sort of like oh yeah everybody's everybody's moving everybody's on a path Um, and I also remember going back to what you said about the the divine leader who sort of gives people. I realized quickly, because the church got really big really fast, oh, there's like a game face. Because mm-hmm. I noticed it in other pastors. Oh, this is now an institution. It needs money to run. And there are things that you say that keep everybody like, okay, good, good. We're good and stable and we're gonna make right. rent. When, you're pa- when you pass the buck. Um, and then there was what I was learning and growing and evolving and seeing. And I remember noticing, this is like early 30s, in other pastors that they would tell me, you know, I'm reading this so-and-so and it's blowing my mind. I just went, I was traveling out of the States and I had an experience that like totally scrambled all my categories, but I couldn't say that. Right. Because there was like the, there was like the thing that you say to keep the thing. And I remember realizing I either have this game face, which keeps the institution stable and running all that, or I go on a journey in public and I just go where it takes me. And my wife and I had this recurring joke. Just being vulnerable in who you are and being honest and transparent. And then realizing, like I did a whole series of sermons questioning the war in Iraq at Christmas time. (laughs) The timing was a little, but like, you have, you have to talk about this. Um, so it was just this sense, you, ha- you have to go where it, where it, ta- where it goes. Mm-hmm. And if you stop, and you're like, well, that might... So this thing that is desperate for stability is going to have like a... As a friend of mine said, there's always a thousand people coming and a thousand people going. <laughs> Yeah, and so as you as you embark upon this experiment, I'm sure there's there's people in you know church communities across the land who are having interesting reactions to this, right? <laughs> and I, and I suppose it goes back to what your aspirations were at the time. Like, are you going to be Joel Osteen? Are you going to be Billy Graham? Or are you going to be something different and new and unique and and ultimately very Rob Bell? Yeah, those are those are exactly the questions, and I had seen. Uh, I had heard people talking about like this perspective on the Jesus tradition, but I had, I'd seen it with 150 people in a basement. I hadn't seen it on a big scale. Um, and so how so, big, I mean, how big was it getting? Uh, by th- two or three years in, so I'd have been 31, 32. It was like 10,000 people on a Sunday. Oh my God. I know. And you're I, 31? Yeah. And how are you? It was totally you, surreal. Like sort of managing, you know, as a human being, you know, ego, I had to do the sermon. Starts to I had to do the sermon three times on Sundays, wow. so there was like a all there were three services throughout the day just to fit all the people. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the ego is, all of these people were coming. When all these people are coming to hear you say something that will help them, when it gets that ridiculously big and you're that young, it it works the other way from ego, like. This is, it felt like a pile of, a shelf of books that's about to fall over on top of you. Right, like even when, is, though, when is the other shoe going to drop? And also, like yeah, clearly this isn't yeah. me, something's working through me to make this Right, possible. right. And I'm, 
just trying to keep up with the what this does because then, then there are people who assume that there's some sort of circle of power and you must be in the center of it so people you walk into a room and people want access to you for reasons other than you so you're going through all that sort of basic stuff um and then i didn't really have any tools for i was trained by a pastor who kind of just you just go all the time not a lot of boundaries not a lot of um if you care for yourself that kind of was a little bit selfish let's be honest um because you know there are people you could help and when you have that many people and the kinds of needs that people are bringing it's just it's like a firehouse it never lets up um yeah i, I wasn't prepared for all that i had a really and, bad burnout know, West, western michigan is not oh, beverly hills i mean it was there's some really poor counties around there and that so you had this this is really difficult but then you had these like i would i bought tons of scissors and would do a sermon on living more simply and then invite anybody with massive credit card debt to come down at the end of the sermon and cut up the credit cards that have them like in essentially a form of bondage or enslavement. And so like we'd have it, we wrote a lot of our own music. The band would start playing a song and people would come down and get scissors and cut up credit cards and like be weeping. So that kind of stuff, it's just, just what is that? Mm -hmm. Just, it was this, it was somewhere between like group therapy and performance art and you know what I mean? There were these things that we were doing on a, on a big scale to help set people free. And so it felt like this giant experiment and all these, you had all these unbelievable things and stories happening. And then you also had, this is taking everything I have. Um, and I don't know if this is sustainable because you just giving like that. I had a really bad burnout in 04. Oh, you did. Is that, yeah, is that bad. why you ended up walking away from it? Um, no, that was, I think, 04. I left the church. We, we left in 2011. Okay. So and partly it, I left because it, it had this overwhelming sense like this was a great season. And generally people stay too long. Um, and I had this sense you like... You want to jump the shark with it? Yeah, it, was, it had this sense like I took it as far as I could take it and I needed to keep going. And what I discovered, what had happened is more and more I was talking about things that weren't... This, I just more and more was convicted. The way this is for everybody, building a Christian institution isn't the goal here. The goal is to help everybody be more human. Mm -hmm. So, And what you were doing is a rea was a reaction against that. So the, the irony of ultimately it becoming, you know. Yeah, 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 that. yeah. Yeah, there was, there was some of that. And it was like, no, we, um, in some ways I'm telling a story. So where do people tell stories? Well, L.A. We'd lived in L.A. before we were, when we were first married. Let's, let's go farther. Let's have discussions. Um, what if all your time was spent creating in these books and tours and engaging with people? Right. Let's go do that. And, and Mars Hill still exists, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and after I left a friend of mine, they hired a friend of mine who did it. For, it, and, it sounds like a, uh, you know, basically a Christian version of Agape. Have you been to Agape? Yes. How do I know Los that Angeles? name? I've uh, heard that name. Reverend Michael Beckwith. Oh yeah, I did an event with center. him. I did an yeah, event with yeah. him one time. Which yeah, is, have you been? So you've Great been to the center. And there. I haven't like, been to the center. Pretty, we did an it's event. It's pretty cool. You should go check it out. Yeah, I mean it's very uh, you know non-denominational, but mm -hmm. he's a, a beautiful presence and he brings is in a beautiful all kinds presence. Of interesting people into there. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. So where does this uh, where does this sort of begin to take off? I mean, you have you know sort of you you hit like a stride and got into this groove where you know suddenly like Oprah's involved. And, like, <laughs> 
Time Magazine, 100 Most Influential People, and television shows, and Deepak Chopra, and suddenly you're, you know, kind of, you know, orbiting in a very interesting, you know, circle of people. Like, so how does that, like, what's going on? You know, there was never a grand plan. I, I actually very, very much relate to your, you kind of do the next thing. Whenever people would ask me, like when I was at the church, what's the, what's the five-year plan? I was just blank. Because the only thing I knew how to do was make the next sermon, make the next book. Then I would have an idea about quantum physics and Hebrew poetry, and that became the Everything is Spiritual But tours. you had an impulse that in order to continue to evolve and grow, yeah. that you needed to move on. And, and Yeah, and then what if I was in an environment where people were making things? Would there just be, what would happen? What would that look like? What? Mm-hmm. And it turned out that, it's it's been amazing. It's been about so, five years, and it's been. It was amazing. kind of a lark then to move here. I mean, there was. There it was almost no... felt like a long, a long, slow evolution in the same direction. Uh huh. Um, it. Kristen and I had an, like, oh yeah, this is the next step for sure. It right. it it felt less like a lark and more like the next step, um, and that every step generally involves some element of risk, some element of this could really not work out. Yeah. Which you always know. Now we're onto something. <laughs> And we could fail miserably. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, LA is a weird place yes. to move to. It's very weird and unique. And yeah. and for me personally, I've lived in lots of cities and it took me a really long time to like get roots here and feel comfortable and yeah. and sort of establish. Like it's disorienting and it's very alienating, you know, because everybody's in cars and the distances between people is so great that it's it's easy to feel alone. Right. And uh my mom grew up in LA. And so when I grew, growing up in Michigan, we would visit every other year at Christmas time. And I have these visceral memories of like nine, 11 years old being in LA and the grass, the like trees being like, oh, I love it here. Like this is like home in some way. And so it was very surreal to move. And then as soon as I got done with college, I moved to LA to do graduate school. Mm-hmm. So moving, it actually felt strangely like coming home. And it's odd to see my kids at home in LA. How do they like it? They love it. They love it. So like three we all kids. Yeah. 15, 18, 16, 16 boys, and then a girl is seven. Wow. And LA feels like home. So, yeah, there are all these elements where you, I just paid $14 to park at the dentist, and you're like, this is completely insane. But oddly, my family, not oddly, I guess, it feels like we all came home. Like my kids, it's like flipping a switch. My kids are thriving like never before. When you sit down to, you know, whether it's write a book or produce a sermon or like this, you know, event, everything is, I guess it was a tour, right? A speaking Mm -hmm. tour, like everything is spiritual. What is the, you know, what is the process? Like how much of that is spontaneously improvised and how much of it is well thought out ahead of time and kind of plotted, you know, point by point and... Yeah, all the, uh, the talks are all... Lots and lots and lots of work to get like an internal structure, point, sub point. Um, all that is just the work of, right. and the podcast talks are all, that's just the creating of content. And I'm not just like chatting. Right. So um, when you sit down and you do these podcasts, do you have like an outline in yeah, absolutely. front of you? Oh, okay, absolutely. Good. I feel and so I've much worked, better. <laughs> and I've, uh, yeah. and lots and lots of work. Lots and lots of work to make it sound like you're just talking. Right. Or like everything is spiritual. I remember the first Everything is Spiritual tour 
Every, the, it was 102 ideas, and each idea was on a 3x5 card. And oh, I arranged 3x5 wow. cards on the living, moved the furniture out. And uh, I remember the, uh, my book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, was 600 3x5 cards. So that was a whole living room floor. Yeah. Or mo- sliding them around, looking for larger patterns and arcs and trajectories. So all that stuff is just, yeah, where does it begin? Where does it end? Where does it go next? Where does it go? So that, like the Largo show in October... Um, generally there's an, I, two, generally two ideas bang into each other that I wouldn't, and some, there's like a, like a friction between them. So that's like the principle behind how all these. Yeah. So here's an example. Uh, somewhere recently I stumbled upon flowers developed. This is how it starts. This is how, this is how the books come to be because of this. Somewhere I was reading something on biology. Um, I try to read about things I know nothing about. Because you begin to like pattern recognition, mm-hmm. flowers developed their colors to attract bees to pollinate them, and they need the bees to pollinate them to keep going. So, a flowers, the colors in a flower are kind of like the flower going, "Hey, over here, big boy." So there's an element, uh, the and so we give the, the the person we're trying to seduce, we give her flowers, but the colors, which are what she delights in, are there because of the flower trying to seduce the bee. Right, in, so, in this weird meta thing. So seduction, so the survival of the flower at some level is based on its ability to seduce. Uh-huh. So that to me is really interesting it's when you start. <laughs> it's a literal spreading of the legs. Abs- yes. So, so you can see, so then you sit with that. So generally the book, The Talk Whatever, I've been sitting with it for a long time. Just that one thing. And then I started thinking about, oh, wow, it's beauty is integral to its survival. It's not tacked on at the end. So then you start thinking about, oh, for a lot of people, the things they do that are beautiful, that feed their soul, are what they do after the work is done. You, know, you go to your work. Mm-hmm. You're a lawyer, doctor, mm-hmm. school teacher, fire person. You do the work and so you can survive, so you can pay the bills. And then maybe if you have some time over, you do something that like feeds your right. soul you or bif- spirit. You're, you're bifurcating and compartmentalizing right. these aspects. Right, because of your life. you know there's survival. And then there's the luxuries of it. But for a flower, its beauty and design and color is integral to its survival. Mm-hmm. So now you're just, so that takes you into architecture, that takes you into spirituality. So that's an example of where just an idea like that, by the, middle, by the end of October, that will be something. <laughs> And then other ideas begin to attach itself to that, and all yeah, of a sudden... Yeah, I, I think that, that, that dovetails nicely <laughs> That's with, as rough as the process gets right there. Yeah, no, but I like that. No, and that was very, you know, tactile and, and, yeah. and specific. Uh, but I think it brings up some interesting things that you've talked about and written about and spoken about with respect to heaven and this idea like, okay, you know, heaven is, isn't the... Forget about the pearly gates, like, let's... There's a there's a there's an argument to be had that a lot of the writings in the Bible are really about trying to establish heaven in your life now. This idea yes. of trying to bring beauty and gratitude and service and and happiness and purpose and all of these ideas that we associate with living, you know, sort of optimizing, you know, our, right. our sort of happiness quotient in our life. Right. The more that we can incorporate them into the now, into the very fabric, like the flower, you know, the more yes. that we can create that, like integrated system then we're creating heaven in our own lives in the present moment yeah and that heaven heaven and earth becoming the same place um always at the heart of many spiritual traditions was not 
you're kind of just waiting. This is like the waiting room, and then you'll die, and it'll get better. Right. Even even the Jesus prayer, your will be done on earth as There's it is a in heaven. Incentive problem with that <laughs> right. Protocol. But your will be done on earth as it is in heaven was may you live in such a way that earth and heaven become more and more the same place. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, you think about every great tradition, all of the mystics who climbed up on the mountain and lived in the cave for 10 years and came back down, they all, they all pretty much came down and said the same thing, which was here now. There's the, you just find that across every, that's like the, the note that everybody hits, which is here and now. Right. And, and an atheist's response to that would be that um, these are just, like, whether it's, you know, do not kill or whatever commandment or spiritual edict about how to structure and live your life, these are, these are really evolutionary, you know, parameters, the evolutionary imperatives that have evolved over time for the purpose of the survival of the human race. But if we look beyond that, um, there are things that don't exactly mesh up with that perspective, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you've spoken about this, the idea that, that if that was truly the case, then what about X? Oh, oh, right. If everything is simply an adaptation to survive, then man, that the new Sigaross album, what is that? Right. <laughs> and why do I see people giving of themselves for no reason other than the well-being of another. Um, and maybe it makes them feel good and that has some evolutionary value, fine. But uh, the universe just seems too mysterious to reduce it all to adaptation, even though that's obviously integral to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that, uh, that some of, you know, when the spirit soars, that yeah. seems to be an unnecessary uh, extension. <laughs> If you were just focused on trying to perpetuate the race. Right, right. There is so much about life that cannot be accessed with the five senses. That is actually the place you live from. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to humility and understanding that, yes. that, that we are limited by these five, you know, these five sensory right, perception right, right. You know, organs and, and abilities, and that's pretty limited. Yes, and you, you think about the earth is covered with 70, 71% of the earth is covered with ocean, and we have explored 5% of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So everything we know about the ocean is from 5%. Like what else? There's this interesting video on YouTube about after the tsunami in 2004 in Thailand, all these fish and sea creatures that washed up that they didn't know existed. It's just pictures of weird stuff. To me, I always go back to those weird sea creatures from the tsunami and think, mystery is like baked into the whole thing. Well, I and mean, that's, that's, okay. that's, a, that's a rudimentary example when, you, as compared to talking about subatomic particles. <laughs> that's that why are, I talk about the are, fish, because I get like, my mind around that. <laughs> that are not attached to each other, but vibrating simultaneously in San Francisco and New York, right? Yes. And all this craziness about infinite ways of traversing time and space and how they can be in different places at the same time without traveling time and space. Right, like, right, right. It gets right, super right. crazy. Right, 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 right. Right. Uh, simultaneous duality. Uh, this, this particular subatomic particle can exist at two, can be in two different places at the same time. The, then you have non-signal communication. This um, particle and this particle are communicating with no signal traveling between them. They're now saying that there are subatomic particles that come into existence for a millionth of a second and then disappear, and they don't know where they come from, and they don't know where they 
Right. Go do. <laughs> right. So if you can't tap into some sense of wonder so and humility, yeah. When 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 you hear that, then I don't know what to say. Like right. we're in this crazy time where, honestly, like tech technology is advancing so quickly that it's becoming more and more difficult to distinguish between an onion headline and like real news. Like you'll read this stuff and you'll be like, Absolutely. that can't be true. And then, and we become unfazed by it. Like, oh yeah, like, you know, cars are driving around without people. Right, in right, right. <laughs> you know? I still, I still am like, the Trump thing is a TV show. They're of filming course, it, right? Yeah, of it's, course. It's a TV show. You cannot, like, because, we're being punked. Because we're so in it. And we have right. such a, a, you know, a micro perspective on the moment-to-moment evolution of this. It's hard to take a 10,000-foot view and look down on it and go, this is like more insane than any South Park episode you could ever conceptualize. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. how yes. is this happening? Yes. I was just uh, touring in, in England and Ireland and France, and I would begin the talk with, hi, I'm Rob Bell. I live in Los Angeles, which is in America. And do you all think that we've completely lost our minds? And every crowd would immediately begin cheering. Yeah, <laughs> We have lost our minds in certain ways. It's insane what's happening right now. Yeah. And so things are moving in multiple directions at the same time, positive and negative. And, and it seems like everything is accelerating. Yes. You know, way faster like, than ever. Now, there's this, uh, historian named Phyllis Tickle, real name Phyllis Tickle, who passed away recently, brilliant woman. She had a 500-year theory of history. And she traced how every 500 years there's a new technological invention that disrupts everything. So you take, uh, what, 1427, the printing press, and out of that you get the Reformation, you get education, government, Mm. everything gets turned upside down. And her argument is that we're in one of those 500-year cycles and that the internet has disrupted everything and then she says the two questions that every major technological breakthrough asks when it disrupts is what does it mean to be human and where does authority come from mm-hmm. which is what everybody's talking about which i think is really interesting because if you would go back 500 years to the invention of the printing press so for was it 1427 let's take 15 years after the invention of the printing press you and i 1442 and i say hey rich i think this book thing it might really catch on. Right. We laugh now because we see the creation of a book and how an ideas could travel as fast as horses. Um, and that, that uh, you know, disintegrates issues around control. Right, so now- Because the dissemination of ideas. Are we, are we 15 years into the internet going, hey, I think this internet thing is gonna change everything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we're in one of those. It's crazy that it's only been 15 years. Right, right, we are right. We're in the infancy of this thing. So and every, when we finally figure out yeah. artificial intelligence right. and you know, self-perpetuating, self-learning machines, stuff's going to get super crazy. Super crazy. And I, I think the question many people have is, is this just like a generational, like every generation's like, wow, those kids are listening to loud music. Is this just every generation or is this something else? And I would just argue, no, this is something, this is historic. I think it is something And maybe of, like a, of a 500-year variety. Because you think about the printing press leads pretty quickly. You have um, Galileo, you have Copernicus, you have the end of the view of the Earth as the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I don't, we can't begin to comprehend what it was like to be told the earth is not the center of the universe because that was a very stacked view. They're the gods, they're the planets, then there are angels and there are humans, then there are animals that like, and to be, everybody had that baked into their neural pathways and to be told that's not how it is. 
has to be as jarring. Maybe, I mean, maybe artificial intelligence will be here and we'll all go, whoa. Hmm. But it, human beings have been here before where the whole thing, the rug gets pulled out from underneath. It's exciting, isn't it? Now we're getting interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. Right, let's get in that. So humans were here before. Like I've, I haven't thought about that. Like human beings have been here before culture advanced to a certain extent and then oh, absolutely. by virtue of natural disaster or a comet or self-destructive behavior absolutely. patterns have been wiped out and have become a strata below the earth's core at some point right yeah 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 and here we are again so you believe that i well i mean you look at what happened when things shifted from hunter gatherers to agriculture you look at homo sapien leaving homo neanderthal behind um those were massive, massive, massive shifts. They're now saying that the reason why Homo sapiens sort of emerged and left Neanderthal behind is that Homo sapiens developed the ability to tell stories and myths mm. that you cannot they organize. The un- they were unlikely to succeed, right? Right. Like they were kind of the underdog. But they, at this point, was it 70,000 years ago? They, a group, of, a, a, a group of people were able to tell a story that everybody could rally behind. So you no longer needed 150 of your closest tribe folks, but you now, if you could tell a story and you could conceive of a larger myth that held everything together. An organizing principle. Then you could destroy everybody in your path. Mm. Um, I mean, that would have been, oh. So human beings have been in places where the whole thing shifted in a relatively quick period of time. Right. We just have iPhones, so we're reading about it every day. <laughs> it's just all happening so fast. Well, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to be undistracted, yeah. you know, and to yeah. be able to kind of tap into what it means to be human, which is to wonder and to, yeah. and to you know, sort of escape into your imagination. Yeah. It's, it's really hard now because we're just bombarded with information everywhere we go, and we always have a supercomputer in our hands to I love us. it that when our family goes on a car trip, my daughter has an iPad. And she's, and she's like, and I also hate it because mm. she's not looking out the window. Yeah. And yeah. But it's not going away either. No. You want your child to be, uh, you know, sort of adept with these things yeah. that are yeah. part of our daily lives and yet not lose what it means to sort of, right. you know, be in your mind. And right. Your and be connected with everything. I know. So I got one more question. I'm oh, gonna ask you. nice. What? Do you have to be somewhere? No. I just going all day. This is amazing. I love it. No, I was hoping you would say you had more another no. question and not that we were wrapping up. Yeah, no, no, no. But that was a good How do we here's something that confuses me. I mean, we could talk I could ask you a million questions about the Bible and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we could just go on forever there. But <laughs> how do we get to this weird cultural place that we're in where we celebrate these holidays that are anchored in biblical traditions, yet are adorned with the, uh, the costuming of these strange pagan rituals. Like, <laughs> yeah. where does Santa Claus, what does Santa right. Claus have anything right. to do right, right, right. with Jesus and like bunnies and eggs? It's and, such a mashup. All this weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, where does that come, like how do, what is even going on? It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, like the chocolate is brown and the cross was made of wood that was brown. So Eddie Izzard, this comedian, has a whole thing on that. It's so fantastic. Uh, I think it happened because people 
were trying to connect their tradition with the larger culture. And they went, oh, you do have a fertility spring festival for the goddess Ishtar. Well, maybe we could like kind of, uh, I think you have people attaching a bunch of different things to other things. Uh Um, It's amazing that it's survived. You have a Christmas, you have a winter solstice thing, and that's when it's the darkest, but then after the dark comes the light. So maybe we could do the birth of light coming into the world. I think that people were trying to keep their traditions alive. I think they were duct taping together different, appropriating different traditions. Uh, Oh, you have a Sunday. Oh, interesting, which is in honor of the sun. Well, maybe we could... Yeah, there's another sun. Yeah. We'll make that the day of rest. And yeah. Yeah, you go, into anybody, you go into anybody's garage and you ask them, how did you arrange your garage this way? They're like, well, stuff accumulated over 11 years. There was no grand. Uh-huh. And that's how history is. You just look, oh, that thing was kind of like that thing, so they appropriated it. And then that seemed to work well at getting to register voters. And then that seemed to attract these folks. Um, yeah. And it's like... Yeah, uh, Easter is all about <laughs> searching for eggs and like, you know, right. it's just the weirdest thing. It is totally you know? weird. It's totally bizarre. And, and I mean, I've often, when I was uh, giving sermons in the church, there was one sun, there was one Easter Sunday when I didn't use the word Easter, just out of this very thing, mm-hmm. defiance. And the number of people who were like, you didn't use the word Easter, on Easter Sunday, that's kind of weird. Uh, but I would, I would have this like, let's per, let's get like the the true essence, and let's like get rid of all the other stuff surrounding it and what it really means. And then people would be like, wait. I would always think everybody would be like, oh, good, whew, fresh air. But people would be like, wait, I don't understand. We didn't, huh? <laughs> yeah, confusing. Yeah, yeah. How does the traditional Christian community perceive you and what you do? Um, oh my goodness, I'm... I mean, you're a, you're a controversial polarizing Sometimes when I go speak I places, there are protesters out front. Uh-huh. That happens pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're challenging a pretty entrenched status quo. I think a lot of people, they just know that the Jesus message hasn't... He's had terrible PR. So lots of people will, like, at an airport or wherever, will just say thank you. Mm-hmm. People are very, very kind and grateful. And the Episcopals are like, hey, we all think you're Episcopal. And the Anglicans are like, hey, we all think you're Anglican. And the Eastern Orthodox are like, hey, we actually think you're Eastern Orthodox. And the Pentecostals are like, hey, we actually think you're Pentecostal. <laughs> That's what actually happens and among you, religious people. And you, but you don't have a term. <laughs> and, uh, for, lot, and actually, to also answer your question, like, oh, like when I'm on tour, it's a regular thing for people to say, hey, Hey, can I, can we take a picture together? And then I'm going to post it on Instagram. And I just want you to know that when I post this, I'll probably get fired. My family may not speak to me and then they'll stand there. And I always laugh, Uh but lately I realized, oh, that person is actually saying something really significant. That's a pretty bold. They're saying, they're saying I'm growing and expanding and the world is getting bigger and better than it was. And that means I may be at odds with my tribe but I'd rather be alive and growing than back there. Because once you taste, you can't untaste. Once you see, you can't unsee. Um, so that happens quite a bit. That takes a lot of courage. Yeah, and I, st- I stopped. Uh, it, it took me a while to realize, oh, wait, this is, I mean, it's funny, but then, oh, wait, there's another, there's a bass note under that, 
which is about courage and growth and expansion and maturing. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. There's a, there's a, there's a price that has to be paid to step up to that sometimes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's always felt like a, like a, like this extraordinary discovery. So just keep going, just keep going. And who knows what'll be around the corner. Um, but this is, this is no turning back. Are you optimistic? Yeah, actually, the categories of optimism and pessimism imply how do you think about things, but uh, there's some really interesting ancient commentary on how hope is a different category. And hope is when you've been knocked down, but you got back up. When you've been bloody and you have a scar, but you can still walk. That So optimism to me is when people are like, hey, I think we're going to be okay. Hope is we've had the shit kicked out of us and we're still here. So it's like a it's like an earned optimism. So I always I, I like to think of hope more than optimism. I have great hope. It's an interesting perspective. I've it, never heard it articulated. Yeah, because like I because what happens is you things that would have finished you off earlier, things that would have left you for dead by the side of the road, somehow you kept going. And so over time, then when that thing that would have finished you off earlier comes your way again, you're like, oh, I've seen this. And so over t- so. There's a perseverance, and it begins to shape a character, and then you begin to have hope that at a totally different level. Um, What's the most surprising thing that's happened to you as a result of this journey, or something you wouldn't have anticipated, whether it's like a worldview or an experience oh, yeah, that you have, or question. how your kind of faith has evolved? I, it's become way more internal than external. When I was young, you start a church and you grow it and then you sell books and then you're going here and then you're going there and it's the top of the mountain. That's building something big, having a microphone, talking to all these people. Um, But uh, my daughter was sick yesterday and sitting on the couch with her is like better than all of it. So I never knew that the actual greatest moments would be in like the warp and woof of everyday life with my kids meeting you talking like this. Um, I think when I was starting out, especially when you're young, early, early ego is like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. And, uh, this book is going to, and now it's like, I'm going to sit down and work on this paragraph because this is what I'm here to do. And it, and it might be received well, it might not. Um, but I do have this day and this moment and these friends and these new friends and this family and the joy is actually right here. Right. So I think young me would have been like, dude, you're not like obsessed with success. You're, you're like really just fine at some deep level. I'd be like, yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> you thought you're just running and gunning, I just, and growing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now I, I actually will be meeting with somebody who's in, I'm sure you have this, in running gun mode. I want to run 100 miles. I wanted it. And you're like, wait, 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 why? Tell me about your marriage. Mm-hmm. Tell me, like you're much more interested in the deep stream. Well, maybe we'll end up running 100 miles. Maybe you will start that thing. Fine, but, but that, it's, where is that coming from? And let's talk about that place. Because that's actually where the joy is. Yeah. Most people don't want to go there. Yeah, you have to, yeah. Yeah, not everyone wants to go there. That's beautiful, man. What are you working on right now? 
you just got you were in Iceland recently, right? Yeah. What are you doing there? Speaking to a group of people. That's cool. Yeah, was, Iceland's amazing. I haven't been. My Julie wants to go there. Yeah, so you'd love badly. it. Yeah. They say it's the heart chakra of the world. Oh yeah. And I swear, Kristen and I have this uh, adjective Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a thin place. There's something in the air. Yeah. In the soil. Um, and then there's a book coming out in May, and then uh, there's always there's always Largo shows, and there's always right now I'm doing this podcast series on the wisdom tradition which is essentially about the non-dual nature of the heart. So there's always some next thing I'm making. That's cool, man. Well, you are definitely a multi-hyphenate. You got the podcast. How many books have you written? Five books? You wrote uh, a novel too. I think, I'm right? on, I think the 10th one is going to come out next year. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I have plenty of reading ahead of me, but I love Love Wins. I think that's a great place oh, for a lot of people to great. start. It's beautiful. Thank you. That means a lot. And certainly watching... Uh, Everything is spiritual. Is uh, is that was beautiful. I just oh, thank so you. thoroughly enjoyed that. Fantastic. And and, uh, and then and you'll commit publicly to be on my podcast. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. The Robcast. I <laughs> yes. love it, man. Excellent. So you've been doing that for how long? A year and a half. Yeah. A year? Yeah. You enjoying it? Love it. Yeah. It's love cool, it. right? It's a powerful it's, medium. I I cannot believe that like we can have this conversation. That it's it's everywhere. Right. It's unbelievable. And there's something very intimate about it yes you know that's you're in people's headphones watching a video i don't know what it is but yeah i think it's just when you go long form and it's like these are who these people are because you know right you can't get away with that and like my kids will come in my kids will come in and be like dad you know where the broom is or whatever and i just leave all that and i'll be somewhere and someone be like hey when your kid came in and needed to whatever needed the Mm -hmm. car keys that was awesome it's, it's like the microphone's just on. Right, you want it to be perfect or whatever, and right. you don't realize it's that it's the, the humanity right. that, that, that right. makes it special and unique. And I, and I thought, like, I listened to Love Wins, your audiobook, and, and you kind of did that reading your audiobook. Like, usually when you, read, when you listen to an audiobook, <laughs> it's kind of like this, the, this, the, the pastor and the sermon. Like, it's very, there are rules about how you read an audiobook, <laughs> you know, with these actors and all of that. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, we're at chapter seven. How you guys doing? Are we okay? I remember telling two thirds of the way through. Right. I remember telling the I always the audiobook producer. I'm always like, I'm going to read this like I'm reading this to my friends. Uh So if we go off the thing, that's all on purpose, and just let it run. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep recording. (laughs) And that's kind of you know coming full circle to what I started out saying about you is that you're you're like a real you're a three dimensional human being. You know what I mean? And I think that comes across. in all the work that you do, there's an integrity and a humanity that infuses it and allows people to emotionally connect with these ideas that can be very polarizing. Mm. And I think, mm. you know, the the inclusivity wow. that you yeah. have created, this environment of allowing people a welcome mat to be introduced to uh, these ideas or perhaps um, reintroduced to them in a new and different way is very powerful uh, work that you're doing and I applaud you for it. It's really mm. cool. It's really wow, cool to see what you're great. doing. You know, and as somebody who's Thank you. you know, not a member of a church, you know, and not somebody who who would be expected to, you know, kind of tap into what you're doing, like I just I find it to be very powerful and beautiful. Awesome. So that's thanks, that's man. great. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, for everyone out there, check out the Robcast, read his books, watch his videos and Go see him speak, and hopefully I will be able to come and see you speak at Largo. 
Yes. Cool, man. Good. We did it. How are you feeling? I love it. Is it all right? So good. Anything else you want to say? So good. Will you come and do this with me again? Because we yeah. can talk about this. Let's do a part so two. So many other stuff. I'll come back for a part two. To talk to you. Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. All right. Thanks. Fantastic. Peace. Plants. We did it. What'd you guys think? I think it's pretty awesome. That was really special. I thought it was really cool. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, please make a point of checking out the show notes on the episode page at richworld.com. We've got tons of links and resources to learn more about Rob and his work and take your infotainment, your education beyond the earbuds. As always, uh, thank you so much for sharing the show with your friends and your coworkers and your colleagues and your family members around the water cooler, all that good stuff. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. That really does help us out a lot. Hit that subscribe button while you're at it. If you haven't done so already, uh, that also helps us out a lot. And mad love to everybody who has made a habit of using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. That is a huge boon to us, keeps the wind in our sails, and we greatly appreciate that. Uh, If you're inspired to support the mission even further, we have a Patreon account now, and you can find that banner uh, on my site right next to the Amazon banner. Uh, Thanks so much. Hey, would you guys like to get a weekly email from me packed with some tips and tools and resources, things I've enjoyed over the course of the week? Uh, you can do that. It's free to subscribe on my website. I'm never going to spam you uh, or try to sell you anything. It's just you know things I'm enjoying, things I've found helpful. Uh, and I don't share any of this information on my blog or anywhere else. So if you want in, uh, just subscribe. It takes two seconds. And again, totally free. For all your Plant Power merch and swag needs, go to richroll.com. We've got signed copies of Finding Ultra and the Plant Power Way. We've got cool t-shirts. We've got tech tees we're working out in. Other awesome swag and merch and all that good stuff. Mad love and major thanks to everybody who had helped uh, create this podcast today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering and production, Sean Patterson for graphics, Chris Swan for production assistance and help with uh, compiling all the show notes and theme music as always by Analemma. All right, you guys, I love you. See you soon. I'll see you next week at the very minimum. All right, make it great. Peace. Plants. Yeah.